David Bell has made it clear. If you're going to help the team win, and if you're going to be a part of the Reds, you're going to play multiple positions. We got a lot more reactions to what the Reds manager had to say at the Winter Caravan on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Aloha, you are Locked On Reds. Welcome into the live Aloha Friday edition of Locked On Reds, your daily source for all things Cincinnati Reds. I'm Stephen Offenbaker. He's Jeff Carr. We love baseball. We love these Cincinnati Reds. We have taken that love of the game. We have taken that love of the Cincinnati Reds, and we have turned it into information for you. Locked On Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And on today's podcast, we are going to be looking and talking about David Bell and his comments because he has thoughts. And we're going to tell you what those thoughts are and what they mean. We're also going to tell you what they mean for a certain second baseman named Jonathan India. And then, of course, we're going to let you take control as we put you in the driver's seat and take your questions and comments. Before we get into any of that, let's shout out the sponsor of today's podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets back guaranteed when you place any $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. And Jeff, where we are going to get started is with David Bell. But before we do that, if you're watching and you have not yet watched both parts of the Lucas Sims interview that we did earlier this week. After this is done today, head over there, check that out. And I bring it up because while you all were talking in the comment sections, while Jeff and I were resolving a little issue we had over here, uh, Carrie was having a conversation with Doug in the chat and said this. Carrie said that they watched the highlights of the rain sleet game muted while they had the Lucas Sims description playing. And I think that's awesome. I'm actually going to go do that now. Uh, after this today, I'm going to go cue that up and do it. I think that's great. Uh, what a great idea. Lucas uh, was really candid about that memory. I, I, was, was. Very, I was very glad of it. That was one of my favorite parts of that interview. Really loved the chance to talk to Lucas Sims. We're going to have try and have more of that for you guys throughout the year. Uh, but if you haven't checked that out yet, get over there and do that today. All right, Jeff, sorry to, to hijack you there, but that, I thought that was a great idea. So I wanted to, wanted to pitch that, oh, that interview again. So let's no, dive I, into what David Bell had to say because, uh, you know, he had some thoughts on the Reds roster construction, uh, where guys were going to play, what guys were going to do. Uh, he had a lot of things to say, which – um, that's not normal for him. Right. And I, I think it's important to note that like David Bell's input is considered whenever they make these roster decisions, whenever they make additions, signings, trades, all this other stuff, he doesn't have the final say, but he is a guy that's at the table. He's, he's part of the conversation. So he understood whenever they sign Jamer Candelario guys, were going to move around. And that is basically the overarching theme of everything that he has to say is that, you know, there, there's not one position for one guy every single day. And for everybody, and we've, we've talked about this before, but for everybody that wants a consistent everyday eight, that doesn't exist anymore. That's not a thing with major league baseball as, as awesome as that would be like, even the Braves have guys who play multiple positions, the Dodgers, Mookie Betts is going to play a lot of second base this year. Sure, he was good at it last year, but Mookie Betts is an outfielder. If you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty of it, he still plays multiple positions. And if Mookie Betts can do it, then every single player on the Reds roster can do it. And that's basically what David Bell had to say because he was speaking on the subject of Jonathan India. We talked about it many, many times this offseason. He seems like a man out of position because he's played second base for the most of his career. He is no longer the best second baseman on this roster. Doesn't really factor much defensively as shortstop third base. Does the bat really translate very well? First base, same question outfield. Does he have the arm? So what happens with all of this is, is he going to be all right with the move? And David Bell had this to say, he said, quote, He's 100% in on what we have here as a team. There has been, if anything, a little more of a shift toward, quote, I am going to do whatever I have to do to be on the field and help our team win, whatever that takes, unquote. He just wants to be on the field 
and in the lineup as much as possible. Obviously, he's a second baseman. Depending on how things shape out, to be able to get him on the field as much as he wants to be and as much as he as as we want him to be, there may be other positions he's going to need to play. David Bell repeating everything that we've been saying all offseason. Well, and it's it's very interesting. The the one piece of that that just jumps off of the the page as I'm reading the quote again here, Jeff. Uh, if anything, they're a little more of a shift towards I am going to do whatever I have to do to be on the field and help our team win, whatever that takes. Uh, sounds to me like there was a come to Jesus meeting somewhere along the way. I think that last year, Jonathan was resistant to this. Um, I, I feel like there was a lot going on behind the scenes, and I, I'm glad that the relationship is not fractured a la Burns in – Milwaukee where they're still having conversations. India still wants to be here and wants to help the team win. Uh, That's finally, I think the right answer. Uh, The question is going to be a difference of what will he do and what can he do? Well, Uh, what will he do? Sounds like he'll do what the team asks him to do. What he's going to be able to do well is the big test here, Jeff. Can he play Mm -hmm. decent enough outfield to, to warrant putting him out there? to keep his bat in the lineup or whatnot. Can he play a decent enough first base? And I would have to think that he could playing second base. Can he play a decent enough first base to warrant keeping him out there? And bearing in mind, if Jonathan India is playing first base, it means that Candelario and CES are not. So you have to weigh all these things, right? And if you're using him in the right scenarios and the right situations, if somehow India can end up part of a right-handed platoon in that outfield, on certain days that helps this team win. And, and at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. Yeah. I'm I'm curious as to everybody's thoughts on this. And this is one of our favorite parts of the Aloha Friday. I want, want to get your reaction down in the comment section. Uh, Let me know what you think about India and where he's probably going to play the most. And I I think this is interesting. Kerry kind of brings this up as you throw it on the screen. Maybe the Reds gave him an ultimatum. I almost wonder if that was baked into the whole negotiation of 4 million versus 3.2 million. Like we know that those were the figures that the two teams have put together or that that India's side has put together and that the Reds have put together as they head into arbitration. I wonder if Scott Boris was like, look, you're going to have my guy play multiple positions. You're going to pay him for his flexibility. You're going to give him a little bit more. And they're like, yeah, but it remains to be seen if this is going to work or not. And, And I could see that being part of the discussion, but I think that, what this is really saying is, look, we got a lot of talent here, and if you want to be a part of this lineup every day, or at least on a close to everyday basis, you're going to have to play more than second base. And, and I find it interesting. We'll talk more about the logistics about India and, and how this all works for him to get him in the lineup as much as possible because David Bell followed that up by saying that Candelario is going to play every day, if not necessarily at the same position every day. He said, quote, there are challenges of finding playing time for guys, but in the corner infield and Jamer, that's going to be pretty easy to figure out. It'll play itself out pretty easily. Obviously he's going to play every day, come hell or high water. That's what David Bell's telling us. Well, you know, it sounds to me like when we did our projected lineups, Jeff, where we settled on a a one through seven in the batting order that remains consistent while positions scoot around, I think we were spot on. And and the more that David Bell says, the more it sounds like we were spot on. I think that Candelario is going to be a a lot of time first, third designated hitter as you're rotating Noel V. Marte and CES. Those three guys are going to take the lion's share of the time at those three positions. I think that I will not be shocked if part of the spring training experiment involves Noel V. Marte in the outfield. They haven't said they haven't come right out and said that yet, but it just makes sense to me as they continue to harp on positional flexibility that one or both of Marte and CES have to at least make an attempt to play some outfield in spring training to give uh, there's there the reds seemingly are missing just a little bit more flexibility that they need to really make it easy to get all of these guys basically full time at bats full time playing time uh one yeah. more person has to be able to to play some outfield basically 
yeah, is where they end. That's something we've speculated a lot this offseason is who is it going to be? It could be both. I, I think you're right. I think that could be something that they do because that's the missing piece to the puzzle. The Reds didn't go out and get a right-handed outfielder. I low-key think, and I continue to speculate, that that is the reason why. They're going to move one of these guys out here, and if one of them sticks, boom, there's your right-handed outfielder whenever you need him. And David Bell kind of went on to talk about Jamer Candelario, and he's got some more comments. We'll, we'll continue here in a little bit, but I wanted to end segment one on this, is why having Candelario so key? He said, quote, we have young guys that need to play. There are some growing pains that they're going to need to play with. The more they play, the more they'll improve. But adding a guy like Jamer takes some of that pressure off. Between DH, first base, and third base, he's going to be an everyday player. He comes out and says it. That's a quote from David Bell. And, and he finishes this quote by saying, there's plenty of playing time to go around there. So I think that this is interesting. He is saying, he's like, look, we get it. These young guys we got, they're talented. But they're not, pro they're, they're not slump proof. And when they go through slumps, we're ready. I promise I didn't read that quote before I said my last bit. Now it looks like I read that quote before I said my last bit, and I did yeah, not. It, it works out. It works out. <laughs> but no, that, I, I think it's key though. He has he's laying down not, not really laying down the law, but he's kind of put, uh, laying down the gauntlet and saying, "Look, you're going to play multiple positions." I think he's talking to Jonathan India more so than everybody else, but it's really a a a uh, message to the entire team. If you don't have positional flexibility, then you don't have what we need you to have in order to win. He's got some more things to say, though. He says something very, I kind of, I'm kind of excited about it when it comes to Ellie and working on uh, improving his craft this offseason. We're also going to talk about what this means specifically for Jonathan India as he moves around. And oh, hey, by the way, TJ Friedel got a little bit of uh, recognition here. I, th I think we need to to celebrate the recognition that the national baseball media is giving them. We'll do all of that coming up right after this. Because we got a shout out one of today's sponsors, and that is FanDuel. FanDuel is the best way to take your sports knowledge and turn it into cash. You can go to FanDuel.com slash locked on right now, and new users can wager $5 and get $150 in bonus bets, period, win or lose. And really, there's not too many bets that you can make a $5 bet that turns into $150 anyway. They're going to give it to you whether you win it or you lose it. And there's so many things that you can throw it on. I mean, we're talking about the uh, championship week in the NFL playoffs this week, AFC, NFC. You're talking about NHL, uh basketball in both college and professional going on right now. Uh, I know the all-star starters were just announced for the basketball side of things. And Hey, you've got baseball futures as well. Whether you talk about individual awards, different stats and things like that, as we get closer to spring training, FanDuel will release those individual props as well. It's a great place to jump in on the action and make a little bit of cash as well. I love doing the single game parlays. I know we always talk about over-unders as well, but single game parlays are a lot of fun because you could turn on any game. Doesn't matter what game, doesn't matter what teams. This helps you enhance your sports watching experience just a little bit. So go over to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today. Like I said, new users, $5 wagers, going to get you $150 in bonus bets back, period, win or lose. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL and the official sports book of Locked On. Thanks as always for making Lockdown Reds your first listen every single day. Every day is coming up next week. We're going to continue to get you ready for spring training and looking at, I mean, we're going to do a hierarchy. I think I said we were going to do this today, but I pushed it back. We're going to do a hierarchy of the future of the pitchers for the Reds and kind of power rank the, the arms and the names and guys that you've heard of, maybe some that you haven't. That's coming up on the next Locked On Reds podcast as we look forward also quick tease i'm working on it. it's not ready just yet but i will post it here soon we're going to begin doing a weekly dragons report uh, i know it'd be nice to cover all of the minor leagues but i live close to dayton not necessarily close to chattanooga and louisville and all that other stuff be a little bit more of a haul so we're going to start with a dayton dragons report each and every week as we go throughout the season our first one that we're going to have will highlight the brand new manager of 
of the Dayton Dragons, who is Vince Harrison Jr. He is actually the brother of Josh Harrison. I got a clip that I want to play of Josh Harrison a little bit later on as he talked about facing the Reds last season and, and really all throughout his career. It seems like he's played for every National League team except the Reds. Um, but I got the chance to talk with Vince Harrison. He's, he's a really cool dude. Looking forward to that. And before we jump back into David Bell's comments, want to remind you that Locked On has the first ever 24-7 streaming sports channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today brings you all the biggest stories from the local perspective and the national perspective with our league-wide shows on the Locked On Sports Today feed. Check it out. Subscribe today. Locked On Sports Today, the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. All right, before you dive back into this, Jeff, I love it when we hear from other countries. And this is, I think, Maciel, I think, is this, Alberto? Uh, checking in from Mexico. Says he's a big fan hey. of the Reds since 1975. Says we are the best channel for Cincinnati Reds baseball. Congrats us for that. Uh, he Thank says from your fun. new amigo from Mexico. Aloha, he says. Well, aloha, hola, and gracias. We appreciate you. Yes, Absolutely. So let's let's continue with David Bell's comments because um, he said something that really fires me up about this. And actually, kind of funny, I was uh, randomly watching our Locked On Warriors show the other day because they had this amazing game with the Kings. And uh, co-host Kylan Mills on the Locked On Warriors podcast, in her background, has a poster of Ellie De La Cruz. And David Bell had this to say about Ellie's offseason. He said he's training really hard, which is important for his endurance going through a full season. He has really, he's had a really great offseason. That was not a concern, but I knew going into the offseason that one of the most important parts of the Reds offseason was Ellie really building himself up and making any adjustments he needed to make going into spring training. That's happened. And just to give you some details, and I, I think we mentioned this whenever the, the news broke a couple of months ago, but Ellie De La Cruz has spent time working out with Juan Soto. You've probably heard of Juan Soto. Ellie's heard of Juan Soto. Everybody's heard of Juan Soto. But Ellie knows that if you want to get better at hitting, you go to Juan Soto. He's also spent some time working with Reds, former Reds players in this offseason, really working on his ability to hit, and David Bell was very bullish on the work that he is doing. I'm very excited to see how this plays out moving forward because we talked about this, and, and David Bell kind of said it's like, yes, all of these additions are nice, but Ellie taking that next step is just as important as any one of these additions. You know, it's more than just he spent some time with Soto. He's staying with Soto. He went just went and moved in to, to work on this swing. And by all indications, I know I don't know if you saw the video circulating uh, either earlier this week or late last week that was Ellie taking some rips, and he looks pretty good. I, I got to tell you. Um, look, I know that it's very early in Ellie De La Cruz's career, and I know that there were a lot of people. Some of you people got a little unhinged towards <laughs> towards the end there, calling for – Ellie De La Cruz to be sent back to Louisville. And there, there was a lot of stuff happened last season that we're just going to put in the rear view. We're going to forget about. We all get a do over on those things because I think Ellie De La Cruz is going to show up on day one and be ready to go. He's shown us at every level of his professional career that he makes adjustments. And yes, this adjustment has taken a little bit longer than the other levels, but he's facing the best baseball players in the world. He is facing the best pitchers in the world. I'm willing to cut him a little slack. And I, I really like the amount of work that he's put in this offseason because one of our biggest fears is that, that guys get complacent, right? And, hey, I made right. it. I'm here. I'm, this is what I'm doing. And, and they don't work hard. And we're not seeing that from any of these rookies that came up for the Reds in 2023. And this is just another example of guys going the extra mile. For Ellie spending the entire offseason working with an established major leaguer that knows how to get it done and be able to come back and now benefit the Reds in 2024. I also think that this is David Bell responding to that narrative that has been brought up by some who talk about the Reds on a regular basis that he should begin the year in AAA. And I think David Bell's like, yeah. You're crazy. Not, not happening because I think that people look at Ellie and they watch his game. They watch how he reacts and how he's loose and he's having fun out there. And they immediately think, Oh, he must not be a hard worker. He must not be one of those guys that is, you know, a, 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 a mind for the game and, you know, a gym rat and all this other stuff. And that couldn't be any farther from the truth. I mean, everything that we've heard 
about Ellie De La Cruz coming up through the res organization is this dude is a sponge. Whatever you teach him, he will learn, he will apply to his game, and he will improve. So you take a sponge and you send him to Juan Soto, who is the like best on base machine in the game right now. And I know he's now a New York Yankee, which means we're not supposed to like him, but dad gummit, I respect the guy. He is an amazing hitter. And if if Ellie can take anything away from spending time with him this offseason, then that means that Ellie De La Cruz is going to come in guns blazing in 2024. And we're going to see somebody who's a lot more like June Ellie was than the September, August Ellie that kind of ended the season a little bit. And, and I think it's important to note that because he he is not a guy that's going to come up and be at one level. He's going to constantly work to improve every single day and every single season. Yeah, I'm not sure where his ceiling is, and it's going to be interesting to see where that eventually ends up. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun watching him get there. But what does all this mean, Jeff? We've talked about positional flexibility. We've talked about Ellie working on things in the offseason. We've talked about Candelario and what he brings to the team. And I think it all starts to bring this air of expectation. And when talking about David Bell, he's really going to have a challenge on his hands to not let this team get too far out in front of itself, I think. Yeah, and I think the important thing to note is he knows that that's not just being super monotone in post-game press conferences, although he will probably continue to do that. But what he said during the Reds Winter Caravan stop that he was at, he said, quote, we're adding to a really great group of guys that showed that they're talented enough and they do a lot of things very well. It can add up to success for sure. For us as a team, it's not getting ahead of ourselves or paying attention to anything that's external about our expectations. We did that last year. It's a good thing we didn't listen to anything external. It's important to do the same this year and take care of the parts under our control. There's a lot of power in keeping it simple. I think it's it's interesting that he that he said that we we did that last year as in they didn't listen to external expectations because I think they did. I think that's part of the reason that they struggled through the last part of the season, but I think they've learned from that. I think they know that coming into this year, they need to do what they can do each and every day, not worry about the rest of the league, not worry about the rest of the division and just go out there and be one and O every single day, as much as they possibly can. This quote kind of cracks me up a little bit because it's very easy in hindsight, after your 82 win season to look back and be like, we never believed the naysayers that said we were only going to win 62 games. You know, like, yeah, you guys knew that every single rookie was going to hit right out of the gate. You didn't right. know that. That, that That's <laughs> a lot of hindsight revisionist history going on right there. But I get what David's saying. You know, the what this team needs to do is just focus on on individually each player on this team focus on playing their game. And then collectively, that's going to drive this Cincinnati Reds team uh, into contention to win the division and a playoff push. Uh, that's the important part. To, not any one person can really get ahead of themselves. And I think that Bell will do a good job of helping to keep it reined in. And I think that bringing in Candelario as a bit of a veteran presence will help keep them reined in. I think India will help keep them reined in uh, since he's still here. And uh, all of those pieces are going to combine, I think, to keep this team grounded. And I think that's really what we're talking about. They have to remain grounded as they move forward because it would be very easy to start to kind of buy into the hype that's building a little bit around this team. And I know some of that's just off-season national talking heads looking to fill airspace, but uh, this team is starting to attract attention. And the more attention that it tracks, the harder it's going to be to filter the noise. And I'm glad there's some veterans around now that will will help do that. Yeah, I like uh, Grant's comment here. He says, I think in years past, the Reds sincerely believe they could not beat certain teams going into those games. I'm so excited that this team knows they can contend with anyone. Quiet confidence. And I believe that. And I think for most of the year they had that. I think going into September, they started to buy their press a little bit. And I think they need to watch for that coming into this year because there's plenty of positive press not just us not just us being confident about how good this team can be there are national people that are talking about how good they can be how good they are and i think that that plays in a little bit i i do want to talk about this we'll actually start off segment three by celebrating 
the recognition of TJ Friedel, and then we'll jump into our favorite part, the questions and the answers. Because we're talking All about right, well, let's, there's so much to cover. Well, let's 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 move right into that. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, a little TJ Friedel talk right after this. And I lost my place. You can follow us in between episodes. You can follow us on social media. Uh, check us out on X. Jeff wants to be an X man. So Jeff on X at Jeff Carr. That's Jeff with three F's. You can follow me at S Offenbaker with two F's and you can follow the show at Locked on Reds. Also, if you haven't done so yet, head over to inside the and bookmark that site. Jeff's writing about the Reds over there. I'm writing about the Reds. James Rapine, Rick Uccino, Audie Elmore. The list goes on. Lots of great folks covering the Reds in written form. Also, join our Discord community. If you're not over there yet, you're missing out. We're talking Reds in between episodes. There's uh, channels for Bengals talk. There's channels to talk about David Bell, which should be active after this conversation today. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about, and we get to talk baseball with you, which is the best part. The link for our Discord community is down in today's episode description. All right, Jeff, let's get into this TJ Friedel thing. I know you've been kind of chomping at the bit since this news came out. The number nine, according to MLB Network, the number nine center fielder in Major League Baseball is TJ Friedel. That was amazing to see because you talk about a position that the Reds have had quite a interesting history with. I think that's understating it a little bit. But, I mean, you talk about some of the best athletes that have ever picked up a baseball bat or put on a baseball glove like Eric Davis and Ken Griffey Jr. And you talk about very interesting tenures of Willie Tavares and Jason Bourgeois. I don't know why I mentioned him. I can't say his name. Uh, and, and you have Shinsu Chu, who he was an amazing hitter, but he was not a center fielder. He was a corner outfielder. They just didn't have a center fielder at the time. So all of this is to say the fact that TJ Friedel came from nowhere. And I'll say it again. I'll say it till, till he's no longer a red. He was not a prospect. And now he is a top 10 center fielder in the game of baseball. Absolutely well-deserved. Captain Chaos continues to be awesome, and people are now recognizing it. So I'm going to be a little bit of a damper. I'm going to throw a little bucket of water on you here because I still have concerns, and I'm glad that he's getting recognition. He had a phenomenal year, and he did mm -hmm. things that none of us expected him to do, especially uh, being able to stay in there and face left-handed pitching. That was great. The problem is I don't know that that's the real TJ Friedel. I don't know if that was just an outlier season. So for me, this is his, this is his make or break year. If he comes out this year and continues to be that guy, bam, the Reds have a center fielder for multiple years. I, I'll get on this bandwagon with you. And I don't know how you're driving two bandwagons at the same time between Friedel and Benson. And yet here you are, but I will jump on that Friedel right. bandwagon with you because uh, he will have proved it. Uh, I'm, I'm, cautiously optimistic i guess would be the way to put it because i want him to still be that guy actually i want him to continue to get better uh, but yeah. i just don't know that it can be i don't know that it can be counted on right out of the gate i don't think the sample size is big enough to say we know for sure he can be the center fielder all year long because this is who he is i also don't think that the 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 proof is quite there i i, I need to see more I just think he needs to stay healthy because what he gave the Reds last year was a three and a half win season and he missed something like 20 or 30 games. Like, could you imagine if he played 162, he'd be over a four win player. He would definitely be an all-star. And I mean, he got a vote for MVP last year. I think he was like ninth or something on the MVP voting. So that, that was interesting to see as well. He is a guy that I think he will continue to be doubted until he just does everything else. I, I don't know what more he needs to do. Honestly, if he just maintains what he is and stays healthy, I will be super happy. And, and it's something that we've talked about a little bit too, and I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on this because I think we will be previewing players as we move into spring training and stuff like that. But the questions continue to be, was his success against lefties an aberration or is that more to the norm? And if you look at his minor league statistics, he hits lefties well. That's just something he's always done. And I think we will continue to see it again this year. He is just such a he's such a high baseline player. And if you're a fantasy baseball player, 
you definitely need to be investing in TJ Friedel. But his floor is so high because of his speed and because he's just got the ability to put the ball where they ain't. You're never going to see that exit velocity, the average exit velocity be super high. You're never going to see like the launch angles be super impressive or anything like that. But the way that he is able to play the game, I think he can continue the success that he showed in 2023. You know, I'm not sure people truly understand what his splits look like last year, Jeff. And, and this is why I'm yeah. concerned. This is why I need to see more, because if you go dig, dig into his, his splits for 2023, uh, he was in 65 games versus left-handed pitching for a total of 110 plate appearances. In those 110 plate appearances, his slash line was 354, 421, 542. I, I Listen, if that's who he is all season long, the dude is an all-star, and I will take it. But I just don't know. That is, wow. When you look, because you look at the right-handed side of that, Jeff, 263, 36, 449. Not bad, but wow. What a reverse split. Yeah. Like, and I, I understand too. And we've said this before, like lefties are represent about 35% of the at-bats that reds hitters had last year. So seeing that he's really good against hitting lefties and you say that split against righties is a little bit more pedestrian. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's, it's just slightly above average where the, the split against lefties is amazing. If he can bring that right-handed split up a little bit, you're talking about a dude that hits over 300 and a dude that is definitely an all-star. So I'd be interested to see how that changes. I think it's easier for right-handed pitchers to defend him than lefties because right-handers are able to kind of fall off the mound toward where he likes to drop his bunts at. But you're still talking about a dude that, and, and I want to get confirmation on somebody that's got the statistics to figure this out could be a 2020 20 guy for maybe like the first time that we've ever talked about, but yes. Anyway, TJ Friedel praise out. We'll talk more about TJ Friedel as we get into spring training. Let's dive into the questions in the comments. Cause I know folks are a talking. They are. There's a lot of conversation going on over here. And a lot of it's about TJ Friedel right now. Cause that's kind of where we were at in this business. So as I work my way back a little bit, uh, I do want to say that when we talk about all of the quotes from David Bell today, when we talk about Jonathan India, when we talk about all of, all of these interchangeable parts, I, I think an important thing that we didn't hit on that David Bell said is that there's going to be growing pains and when those growing pains occur, let's not try and send those dudes back to Louisville. Right. <laughs> there's going to be, there's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be uh, some difficulties along the way, but I think ultimately I stand by my prediction from earlier, which is nobody has a sophomore slump. All of these rookies that hit in 2023 will be better at the end of 2024 than where they finished at 2023. All right, here's where I want to go. There was a conversation that was going on about this center field position and Ellie De La Cruz when you were talking about Ellie. Uh, first one I grab upon here is Ellie will have an all-star season if he plays only third base. Uh, there's a couple other comments here that continue to call for them to try him out in center field uh, looking for more positional flexibility. Um, I, I want to sit there for a second, Jeff, because this whole center field, Ellie De La Cruz center field, where do you land on this? Because I feel like Maybe it's it's unfair to say, but there's a couple guys on this team at this point of the rookies that I don't want to mess with. I don't want to mess with Ellie De La Cruz. I don't really want to mess with Matt McClain at this point. And I know I said he should go out there because he's played out there, but I, I'm I'm amending that. I think that he has demonstrated he is right where he needs to be. Uh, and I and I think if if you're really gonna mess around with experimenting with guys like CES and Novi Marte, there needs to be a little bit of stability on that infield. And I think that's gonna come from Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain. I think if you're asking me to put a sizable amount on it, I would rather him stick where he is right now. I think he's got to do one thing before I start messing with where he plays, and that is he's got to hit. Like once he starts hitting, then we can talk about moving him because I have no doubt that wherever you put him, he can be good. He is athletic. He is smart. He is, he loves baseball. This is not a guy that I would, I would have any consternation. If you said, we're going to play him in right field. We're going to play him in center field. We're going to play him at third base. We're going to play him at first base, wherever you put him. Although I think he'd be a waste at first base. I think he'd still be a good first baseman. 
he just can play any position. I just want him to hit because I feel like it would fall under the same category of what we said with Tyler Stevenson last year, where they added a more regular, uh, a, a more regular appearances at first base for Tyler Stevenson. So he had to get better at playing first base all while figuring out how to hit with a newly repaired collarbone and all that other stuff. I think it's the same thing with Ellie. If you move Ellie to center field this year, you're telling him to learn a new position while also still learning to hit at the major league level. And I feel like that's just too much. Like once he has the consistency part down with hitting, then I'm, then I'm fine with, you know, the conversation of moving him to center field because he's got the speed, he's got the range and he's got the arm that it would work out very, very well. It's just, I don't want him learning to run routes and all that stuff in center field while also learning you know, pitch recognition and, you know, all the stuff that you need to be a good hitter. Outfield seems to be the flavor of the day. John says India or CS in the outfield will not be pretty balls off the wall, misjudged liners, poor throws, et cetera, et cetera. So Jeff, let's, let's dig into that for a minute because I think that Spencer steer got a bad rap in the outfield last year. And there were times that he ran bad routes and it wasn't as horrid. I think as people made it out to be at times, but at the end of the day, there was a marked drop in defensive quality when Spencer steer first started playing in the outfield and it was done out of necessity and keeping his bat in the lineup. What is the minimum defensive ability that we're willing to accept and say that the experiment is worthy of continuing. Do both CES and India need to be able to get out there and perform at that same level we saw from steer? Is that our floor of acceptance? Is that as low as we're willing to go? Uh, and do we think that both of those guys are capable of going to the outfield and performing at that level? Uh, let's start with India. I think that he is quick enough. I think that he is smart enough that he can go out there and run decent routes to the ball. Uh, we've seen it many times. You know, don't forget that Jonathan India played in the shift for a while. So he he spent some time in short right field. He knows how to mm. read the ball coming out there. He can he can adjust and run routes a little bit. He's done it. So I'm not concerned about that. His arm is definitely a concern. I, I do not anticipate Jonathan India gunning a guy down at the plate with the ball arriving on the fly. Don't anticipate seeing that happen. CES is a different story. Uh, I think he could throw a guy out from right field. The question becomes his route running and ability to get to the ball plays first base. We haven't seen him run around the field a whole lot. Yeah. Do you want rangy or do you want the arm? And I especially think I, I definitely think in right field, you want the arm because you can have TJ Friedel cover the range and things like that. Yeah, steer steers the the baseline for me because as bad as steer was and, and I'm not saying he's bad but you know as below average as steer was in left field he was still miles better than one of our favorite players that we ever encountered in Adam Dunn. I will I will continue to say this all the time. The Cincinnati Reds once employed Adam Dunn left field. Adam Dunn could not play left field. He could hit the ball a country mile and actually didn't play that bad of a first base, but he couldn't play left field, but they kept him in the lineup because his bat was super valuable. His bat outweighed his defense. I think CES's bat will always outweigh his defense no matter where you put him. Jonathan India's is a little bit more of a concern and a little bit more of a question. I think that Jonathan India's got the range, but I agree with you. The arm is the problem and the, the whole playing balls off the wall thing. I think that comes up like once a week. As much as we want to, you know, make it more of an issue, we don't play in, you know, Fenway Park where they got to worry about the monster or anything like that. I just, I see this being more of a CES thing than a Jonathan India thing. I think CES could excel out there. I definitely think Noel V. Marte could excel, excel out there as well. That's why I think that they figure out a way to move those guys out there. Then you move Ellie to third, then you move uh, McLean to short, and you can play India at second base. Well, you hit on what we were going next, Jeff. Good job. Uh, <laughs> Noelvi Marte should be given a shot in the outfield. Let Ellie focus on infield position and work on his offensive skills. Noelvi to the outfield. I keep, I've seen more and more of this. And I don't know. He's athletic. Where this is, I know he's, I just, I don't know where this is all coming from because it's kind of growing. I'm seeing it more and more and more. I, maybe it's just because of all the rookies, he has the least amount of time 
with the big league club in a position so people aren't, I guess, wedded to the idea that he has to be the third baseman. Uh, it would solve a lot of problems. If if Noel V. Marte was your right-handed outfield bat, well, then it gets easy from there, right? Because Candelario plays third, CES plays first. It keeps the designated hitter spot open for other guys to rotate through. Uh, that's a pretty simple solution to a complex problem uh, of getting all these guys in the game. And that's really just referring to lefties. Yeah, I, I think and it's really just referring to against lefties because Will Benson's going to play right field against right-handed pitching because he just murders right-handed pitchers. I think that this is a idea born out of the fan base, not necessarily born out of any sort of reporting or rumors or anything like that because we're all sitting here and we're looking at this roster and we're just like, dude, like that's the puzzle piece, right? You move Marte out there, especially against lefties, then you can really, you know, move the infield around as you need it to be. I, I just don't know that that's initially going to be the plan. Whatever's going to happen here, they're going to find it along the way because they haven't really committed to any of these ideas. There have been a few questions asked of Nick Crawl and, and David Bell as to who's going to be in right field. And the consensus answer is, ah, we got our options open. You know, that's what spring training's for. We're going to work out some guys out there. So I think we're going to see all of these guys get a shot. I just don't necessarily know where we're going to land on. Maybe that, maybe that's a bold prediction, and and not necessarily. And and, and part of the reason why it's a bold prediction is that we don't know what we don't know about this. But bold prediction for you of uh, let's say um let's let's throw them all in a hat here uh india ces Marte, and then i don't know blake dunn as a dark horse uh which four of those guys do you think gets the most play in the outfield in the major leagues this year jonathan india Jonathan India. See, I go with CES, but that's that's just my that's me kind of uh, more my gut than it is anything else. But yeah, well, I'm going to say CES. The biggest, the biggest logjam for me is with Jonathan India because if you're playing him at second base or DH, you're sitting a better hitter and a better defender. There, yeah. there is nobody playing those two positions that's that's worse. Than Jonathan India, and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that Jonathan India is a bad player, but he's not defensively amazing. Whereas Matt McLean run could run circles around him defensively. Could and be a good honestly, And I think when the dust settles in the year of 2024, McLean will have proven to be a better hitter than Jonathan yeah. India by a little bit. So uh, for me, it's India is the one you got to move. Um, India is the one that's got to scratch out his playing time. So. Unless he just demonstrates a complete inability to do it, I think he sees more outfield time than any of those other guys. I'm with you there. I just think I see CES's arm playing up to the point that they get a little bit more intrigued playing him in right field a little bit more, plus his bat in the lineup. I think CES is a guy whose bat deserves to be in the lineup every single day, um, especially with what we saw there toward the end of last season. I mean, you're not wrong. CES would kind of look like a Puig type player out there in yep. right field. Big, muscular, cannon armed. I, I mean, I could see it. I just it just depends on how he can run routes. He's not as athletic or fast as Jay Bruce was, but they both had the arm. And I think that if you've got an arm, they can work on you at uh, you know running good routes and and understanding you know being able to see the ball, you know, track the ball. That's something they talk about a lot. Can you track the ball? Can you track where you are on the field? Things like that. I think they can teach that to an extent. You can't teach arm strength. And CES has it and India doesn't. Well, before we move on to the next guy, this cracked me up. Adam Dunn is the Dave Kingman of the 90s. I love that. That cracks me up. I love um, Adam Dunn because he made me think I could play outfield. <laughs> hey, listen, I have told I you time hit anywhere near as good as he was. <laughs> I have told you time and time again, anybody, anytime there's somebody on this team that helps me improve my self view of my body image <laughs> and is going to put a Jersey in the grab bag that will fit me. I am all in on those dudes. So Adam Dunn, I'm a big fan. Big. That's why you and big. I have always wanted Daniel Vogelbach to be a red. There's really that no other reason than that. But yes, <laughs> that is right. His Jersey would be slimming on me. That is <laughs> 
That is correct. Um, <laughs> one name we have not talked about in this whole outfield conversation is Jake Fraley. And, and we have speculated a lot about the impacts of what's going on in his personal life with his daughter being sick. Um, but you know, we don't know for sure what that looks like. Debbie checks in and says she saw an interview with Jake Fraley and his wife on Cincinnati TV this week. And the daughter is doing much better. That is great That's news. Weird. The yeah. whole reason I wanted to talk about Jake Fraley was to just put that comment up there, Debbie. Thank you for yes. putting that in there. Uh, so let's assume for a minute that Jake Fraley is going to be unlimited. His daughter's health is getting better. He's going to be able to play and be involved with the team. He's going to be there. Will Benson versus Jake Fraley. How do you divide that playing time? What does that look like? I know versus right-handed pitching, the easy answer is to say, well, you put one in left and you put one in right. But mm -hmm. then what do you do with Spencer Steer, who should play every day? Um, yeah. DH at bats, I would assume. But it's not just as simple as saying, well, there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound. They're both playing. No, I agree. I think Will Benson should get more playing time. I think Will Benson is a better hitter. I think Jake Fraley is a better fielder. Jake Fraley, he could push for some center field time over TJ Friedel if TJ Friedel really does prove to be a reverse splits lefty. I could see a scenario, though, where Will Benson starts the game then the opposing team puts in a left-handed relief pitcher. David Bell counters by bringing in a right-handed hitter, and then they bring Jake Fraley back in um, you know, on defense, and he plays the rest of the game because there's a good shot, unless we're facing the Pirates, who have signed somewhere between three and 74 left-handed relief pitchers this offseason, that they would be able to subvert the whole lefty-lefty matchup there with Will Benson, and they could, they could bring in Fraley after – they use the right-handed hitter against that lefty pitcher. There's a lot of strategy you could play with this. I could see some some days where, yeah, Spencer is the DH, especially against right-handed pitching, and you have an all-left-handed outfield. The only thing is then you, you open yourself up to once you replace one of those guys against a left-handed pitcher, you then must keep that righty out there against other right-handed pitchers that might come to play. So I could see this being more of a – almost a double platoon where you have a pinch hitter in between, but I want to see Will Benson more than I see Jake Fraley. I, I don't disagree with that, but when Fraley gets hot, it's hard to keep him sat down for a long time. And I, I think he's going to need some starts in order to get hot. Uh, I think it's going to have to happen. Does Benson play more than Fraley? Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I think there's probably some opportunity versus a right-handed pitcher to have Fraley as your designated hitter from time to time, uh, or vice versa, have Will Benson as your designated hitter and have uh, Fraley out there in the outfield. But it, this is, we keep talking about good problems to have, Jeff. And mm -hmm. I, I think this is just another one of those good problems to have. Uh, yeah, Rake Fraley, when he gets hot, that is exactly who he is, Rake Fraley. All right. Your name on YouTube asks or says that he'd love to hear more about TJ Antone. He loves that guy. I don't know if you caught it, but in the last couple of days, TJ Antone has been posting more workout videos and he is bringing it. He looks like he is throwing with zero limitation. And, and that is the best news. Uh, here's the problem. I don't think there's room for him in the bullpen right now, no matter how healthy he is. Um, and I don't think it's a question of talent. Could TJ Antone maybe beat out somebody else in that bullpen? Yes. But wait, there's more. Uh, the, the baseball control of players, economics, options, all of those other factors weigh in. TJ Antone has options where some of the other guys do not. And at the end of the day, I think the Reds will be compelled to stash TJ Antone to start the season in AAA versus getting rid of somebody else to make room for him in the bullpen. Uh, there's going to be opportunity for Antone to pitch in 2024. I just don't think it's going to be on the opening day roster. I think if he proves he's healthy in spring training, they're going to find a spot for him. I think if he proves he can pitch multiple days, back-to-backs, things like that, they're going to replace Ian Jubo with him. I think that's what's going to happen because he has – Wow. He, he might have more talent – Wait. Then Alexis Diaz. Oh, Jeffrey. 
Okay, listen, that's not wrong. He is very, very talented, and he's very, very unreliable. You're going to get rid of a guy that has doubled his workloads for three consecutive years and replace him with a guy that has not made it through a full season. And, and we're not talking about stashing Ian Jabot. You can't do that. You would have to designate him or trade him. So if something yeah. goes wrong with TJ Antone, TJ Antone that's had two Tommy John surgeries and managed to make it through five games in 2023 before they shut him down again. You're going to get rid of your 70 game workhorse to put that guy on the opening day roster without being able to keep him as a replacement. I, I that's crazy talk, sir. I can't get behind that. Uh, TJ I Antone. Just- Goodyear is not enough for me to say TJ Antone is past his injury problems. He's healthy. Let's put him in there. We've got him for the year. You can't prove that to me between February 14th and opening day. That is not enough time. He's going to have to go to Louisville, show that he can do those things for months, not weeks. And then maybe you shoehorn him into this bullpen if he's still doing it. That it, it would be a tremendous setback for this bullpen if they did that and got rid of Ian Jabot and TJ Antone gets hurt in week three because we just don't know. I, I think I just I don't see how that can happen. I just I look at Ian Jabot and I think that there's some of his game that is smoke and mirrors because he doesn't have a good strikeout to walk ratio. He's not a guy that I think goes out there and allows a lot of limited, you know, contact quality. He doesn't, he's not Brent Suter. So if he's not Alexis Diaz and he's not Brent Suter, then he's getting lucky because you can't just go out there and be a good pitcher. If you're not striking guys out and you're giving up hard contact, I think at the end of the day, he is, he is the kind of relief pitcher that found lightning in a bottle. And he was able to kind of continue that into next season, like, you know, from 2022 to 2023, I don't know with as fickle as relief pitching is that we can expect that again. And I think that he might start the year in the opening day bullpen, but then he's going to blow up one or two times. And we're going to be like, get TJ Antone up here, because I think that if TJ Antone can prove that he is healthy, he is one of the eight best arms and you're talking about bullpen being eight guys he's one of the eight best bullpen arms on this team that's true i just really am worried about that reliability this my god we've come a long way do you (laughs) you remember any of the arguments we had last offseason there were none we're like wow our our biggest thing was who is that guy what what are they doing the the headline would be reds claimed joe schmo off of waivers and then we'd be like I think I'm I'm squinting, and I think there was like a three game stretch where he he didn't allow a run last. Yeah, he could be good. He could maybe maybe he could be good. We're not doing that anymore. They've actually got some legit options now. It's kind of nice. Let's let's get a few more of these in. So Jeff, when you attended the Reds caravan, was Brent Suter on the stop? that you were on, yes, or was he, he was. on one of the yeah. other legs? He was. All right, let's go to this then because uh, Carrie says. Suter is going to be the leader of the pitching staff and also the leader of comical antics in the clubhouse. It's a, he's a great ad. Um, I agree that he's a great ad. You know, Jeff, you and I were both really excited when this move was announced and, and, you know, there was really, really no speculation leading up to it, which was great. I love waking up here in Hawaii to the surprise signings. It's, are, are you having sent me 15 texts? Like, would you wake up so we can record? <laughs> um, Let's talk a little bit. It's what did you see? What did you hear? What was the what was the crowd surrounding Suter at the caravan? Did you get a chance to see him at all? Yeah, he. Um, it was nice because they actually gave him the mic. He spoke a little bit and stuff. That was that was kind of cool. I definitely see the personality being one of a leader. Uh, I think Hunter Green is the leader of this pitching staff, but I think that Brent Suter will kind of slot in there as like leader one B, like it's one A one B type guy because. He's been around. He's he's seen a lot of different stuff. Whether whether you're talking about Milwaukee playoff runs, you know, he pitched through Colorado last year, and he was able to be like, "Look, I was one of the good pitchers on the Rockies last year. They went a lot." Um, when you go through 32 appearances in Coors Field and you don't allow a, a home run, that's pretty impressive. But I, I I think that more than that, he is going to be able to be a consistent personality for this locker room because. There's a lot of guys, when you talk about relief pitchers, they have eccentric personalities. I think that he can tap into an eccentric side. He actually does impressions 
which is really fun to hear like different. I've heard him on different podcasts and different shows where he does different impressions and stuff like that. But he is, everyone knows him as a really fun guy to be around, but I think that he is able to also be that consistent teammate when you need him to be. And he could be a guy that teaches some guys, you know, some of the young pitchers, some things and things like that, but he can also just be a consistent personality for them to turn to whenever they're kind of going through something. All right. I got a couple more good ones here. The, the comment section is firing. And, up here. and speaking of the caravan, while you look for one of those, speaking of the caravan stop, I, w- I was in the Hamilton stop, um, got the chance to meet a couple of folks. And, but, but more than that, there were so many people there. And there were so many people lining up for autographs. I didn't get the chance to like go up there and meet anybody, get an autograph or something like that. But I chalked that down as a good thing because that just shows how much hype there is coming into the season. Like we know that there's a lot of hype coming from us and we're really excited. And, you know, we talked to Lucas Sims. He's really excited, but that excitement is palpable all throughout Reds country because all of these caravan stops are talking about how many people are there and just how much people are trying to go up and, and meet the players and get the autographs. And, you know, there, there's been a little bit of discussion that we haven't had the marquee guys, the name, like, you know, there's no McLean, no Ellie, no steer, no CES on any of these tour stops, but that hasn't stopped anybody from going and seeing all these guys. So I'm very excited to see that. Yeah. I think the days of you and I being the only ones at our spot there in the ballpark, <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I'm not going to mention our spot anymore because I don't want to fight yeah, for my spot, now. but. I think uh, I, I think uh, I think the days of just me and you being there are probably over. Yeah, the, the the game time will will be more necessary than ever to get a good deal on your on your mm-hmm, last no doubt. <laughs> uh, Steve asks, any chance they sign Votto to an incentive laden contract? And 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 we've talked about that. There's just not really room for him. But Nick Crawl yeah. was asked this. They they asked him this during the Q and A. Uh, with the season ticket holders uh, when they had an event for them. And and he, you know, to, to Nick Crawl's credit, he has not tiptoed around this and given any right. false hope and misled at all. When he was asked this, he just outright pretty much said, no, we don't have plans to bring Votto back. Right. And then, and you know, of course, threw in the at this time just to. Th- that was know, the. That but was kind of like the political not, side, right? That was. The was that was the side. political move just to yeah. keep. To make Reds, sure it's like, well, it makes me sad. The Reds are not signing Joey Votto. Right. I would say, what are the chances? I'd say, well, it's better than zero, but less than one. Like, I don't, I don't see that. Like, there's got to be something crazy go down that they would bring him back. And I found it interesting because I was listening to friend of the show, Mo Egger, uh, his, his show the other day. And he asked this question and it was a very good question because he's like, what are the reasons that they would bring Joey Votto back? And don't talk to me about emotional. Don't talk to me about farewell tours or anything like that. What are the reasons that Joey Votto needs to come back to this team? Because if you discount the emotional side, there is no reason that he should be on the team. And that's kind of a bummer because, yes, the emotional fan side of me wants to see that farewell tour. But you know who doesn't? The Reds. And I don't think Joey wants that either. Like, to tell him that his entire major league career – 17 wonderful years in Cincinnati have culminated to a please come back so we can give you a going away party. I don't think he wants that either. So it's, it's not going to happen for the emotional side that we want it to. And there's no objective reason to bring him back. And, and honestly, this team has done things like that in the, yeah, his team is, this team has done things like that in the past because they knew they were not going to be good and they needed something to generate some kind of buzz to get people out to the ballpark. That is no longer pretty stinking good. They're going to be people are coming already. So they don't need that. Um, I love you guys in the comment section. Uh, Listen, this is why I love these live shows for the the instant interaction and feedback and and coming at me in the comment section. And they're not it's not really coming at me. But Alex makes a great point that neither one of us made in that exchange about Ian Jabot and TJ Antone. And that is Alex says he thinks Nick Martinez could be the innings eater out of the bullpen. So he's open to moving on from Jabot. That is a great point. And neither one of us hit on that. Uh, If this rotation shakes out how it's looking now, which is, yeah, I know they signed Nick Martinez to compete for a starting job, but then they added Frankie Montas. And I think that situation is changing and evolving. If Nick Martinez is your long man innings eater, sixth and seventh inning guy out of the bullpen, um, that kind of does make Ian a little bit more expendable. 
So if TJ Antone can answer the reliability question, if he is completely healed up and available for the course of an entire Major League Baseball season, uh, maybe I'm willing to reconsider, Jeff. David Bell, so we talked a lot about his comments about flexibility on the position side of things, especially when it pertains to Jonathan India. David Bell knows he has that in his pitching staff because he doesn't have one. He has two long men, two guys that he can trust to go multiple innings because Nick Martinez can do it from the right side and Brent Suter can do it from the left side. Brent Suter is not a loogie. He is not a one inning, you know, hope he gets three outs and get us out of one inning type guy. He was a starter earlier on in his career with the Brewers. In fact, he was a guy, and I've said this before, so everydayers will probably roll their eyes when I bring this up again, but he was a guy a couple of years ago that I included in this plan for the Reds' bullpen that the Reds needed two long men because the Brewers had two long men. Suter was one of them. And then this was before they moved Adrian Hauser to the rotation because they had Suter from the left side, Hauser from the right side that could go multiple innings if they needed. And if they had a guy that was just off, just didn't have his best stuff out of the rotation, they could bring one of those two guys in and not feel bad about it. The Reds now have that. The Reds bullpen is so much stronger just from the sheer volume of moves that they've made, but definitely from the additions of Nick Martinez and Brent Suter, because they have two guys that they don't have to like squint, cross your fingers and, you know, say, you know, say a, a, a prayer that they're going to go multiple innings. They know that they're going to go multiple innings. John says funny that the forgotten name in the bullpen right now is Emilio Pagan. This is true. We have yep. not spent hard, any time at all talking about Pagan and what an upgrade to the bullpen that he was. He's just, he's going to be a stabilizing force. I think that, and he slots in perfectly because especially if TJ Antone is healthy, I mean, you're talking about a bullpen hierarchy of Diaz, Antone, Sims, before you, and, and maybe even Buck Farmer, before you even get to Pagan. And Pagan doesn't have to be the setup man. He doesn't have to be the hard and fast, you know, the the number one guy out of the pen. But because he's not the number one guy out of the pen, this pen is so much stronger. He is going to be an easy guy that you can call on in a situation to get out of an inning. And I think that he is going to deliver each and every time. I love the fact, and, and the first edition that the Reds made this offseason, and we were kind of wondering, we're like, what's this going to mean for the offseason that they're already going to the bullpen? They're already adding a relief pitcher. Little did we know there was so much more to come after that. Let's wrap up with this. This is a good question from Luke Goodman here on YouTube. Any chance Lion Richardson can move to the bullpen, be a closer type option? Um, you know, from what I saw, Jeff, and I don't know what your opinion on this is, but I could so I could see him moving to the bullpen. What we saw from him was that he wasn't completely stretched out for a multitude of reasons when he was, you know, forced into emergency starts with the big league club. Uh, he showed, I think, enough with his stuff that he could be a viable big leaguer at some point in time. But with the crowd around this rotation right now, if they're not going to trade away some of this surplus pitching down in, in the minors, some of these guys are going to have to move to the bullpen. That's what's going to happen. And I think he's a good fit. Uh, just come out for a couple innings, throw with maximum effort, two best pitches. I think he'd be a really good candidate for that. I, I would see him there and I would see Connor Phillips there as well. Like I still think that there's plenty of opportunity for both those guys to prove that they're starters, but I could see it in the future where one of them doesn't quite necessarily prove that they can go five, six innings, something like that. And so then the Reds decide, okay, let's do what we did with Chapman, say focus on two pitches, go out there and give maximum effort for 20 to 30 pitches in an inning, hopefully just around 20, and you can be our you can be a key man out of our bullpen. I could see that happening for for him and for um and, and for Connor Phillips. Uh, let's talk about this guy. He's one of your guys. Joseph Gaditza. Hey Joseph. He says Fernando Cruz is going to be fun, I think. Uh, the dude could be real good if given the chance. That's the problem, right? Given the chance. Yeah. He's got options. So he's going to start the year in AAA for sure. He's a guy that I was, I was, you know, standing up for it before they made all these moves. I said, Fernando Cruz is definitely in the opening day bullpen. But now with all these different moves and stuff, there's just not a spot for him. And especially if TJ Anton is healthy, then I think that you, you definitely start Fernando Cruz in AAA. But he's definitely, he's going to be a very, confident replacement should guys get hurt this team is so freaking deep man like 
Fernando Cruz had a better strikeout percentage and a better walk percentage than did Alexis Diaz last year. His ERA, he was just a little bit unlucky with it. And I think that if he is a guy that you're talking about being your ninth, 10th, 11th best reliever, this team has gotten so much better. And I love that. Here's where we're going to end. Wait, sorry. It moved. This is where we're going to wrap this up. Knuckleballing yeah. Alex Blandino. Don't sleep on man. I would love for that to become a thing. I can't tell you how yes. much I really want that to be a thing. Um, I don't know that there's room and maybe it means there's a disaster if we see Alex Blandino, but man, if he could really learn that knuckle and could, man, I want that to be a thing, Jeffrey. I think that's so they signed him to a minor league deal and they didn't give him an invite to spring train. I think they're going to give him like the whole year, maybe two years to figure out the whole knuckleballing thing. Let's let's be honest. I mean, you got to be a pretty good pitcher to even think about throwing a knuckleball. Alex Manino's coming from the infield and he's going to throw a knuckleball. And I get it. There's the, the pitching ninja gif. Uh, that he had a couple of years ago where he struck out a couple of uh, Cleveland guardians on his knuckleball pitch and uh pitching ninja even labeled it the perfect knuckleball. So he's, he's not, this isn't coming out of left field, but to be a consistent dude to come out here and say, cause I'm guessing he's only going to be a relief pitcher with this thing. I don't perceive him trying to be a starting pitcher with it, but that still means that 20 to 30 pitches a game, He's got a fastball that goes around 90 and a knuckleball. So you're probably going to throw the knuckleball 60% of the time. That means you got to have enough confidence in throwing a damn good knuckleball because there are people that can throw a knuckleball just, you know, in a backyard game of catch. Those people aren't throwing to major league hitters. He's got to be able to throw it to a major league hitter. It's going to take some time and probably we won't know how it works out for at least a year, maybe two. But I'm with him. I am with you, Grant. I really want to see this work out because I said it on the pod the other day that I did solo and I didn't give you a chance to respond to this. But uh, the last time the Reds had a knuckleballer was in the 50s and the 60s with a guy named Bob Perky. Like, that's a long time ago. And I would love there's a reason why there's a reason why everybody doesn't throw a knuckleball. That is a hard pitch to control. And, you know, uh, the Tim Wakefield of the world flat. (laughs) <laughs> the Tim, the Tim Wakefields, rest his soul. They are few and far between. So, yeah. yeah. All right, let's get out of here on that one. Thanks so much, you all, for making Locked On Reds your first listen and your extended listen and your live listen. We love having you here. Uh, love talking yep. baseball with you. Appreciate you guys hanging with us today. Uh, if you have not done so, click subscribe. Uh, listen, we'll start a little bit of a campaign. There are thousands of you guys watching the videos every single day on YouTube. There's a like button down there that really helps with the algorithm. Every time you watch a Locked on Reds, click the like button down there. It helps boost and lets new people find the show because ultimately that's what it's about. We want more and more people to talk baseball with. We love talking baseball with you. We want to talk baseball with them. Jeff, get us out of here. Absolutely. Yeah, we got to game the system because it's all about making sure the computers obey us. And if you watch any sci-fi movies, that is important. And that is how we're going to end today's show. Thank you so much for checking out today's Lockdown Reds live Aloha edition of the podcast. We are coming back to you next week. We're going to be talking about the hierarchy of the Reds pitching future. Starts with Rhett Louder, but there's a lot of conversation to be had behind him. So you're going to want to join us for that because we will be Lockdown Reds every single day.